Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, May the 8th, 2019. This is episode 2434 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a special guest coming on here in just a minute. Her name is Melissa Clark. Some of you are familiar at least with her company and products already. We had one of her advisors on the show not long ago, uh, Blair Wanderlich. And uh, we were talking about CBD, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Melissa Clark is the owner and founder of Hemp Magic. They are an MSB vendor, and I personally do use their products, and I personally do endorse their products, full disclosure on that, but I think that's a good thing. Um, Melissa is the first legal female extractor of hemp in North Carolina. She's the founder, again, of Hemp Magic. She created the company while trying to help her dog, Luna, heal from very severe grand mal seizures. Uh, she used a lot of different CBD products and was unsatisfied with the quality. So she researched what would make CBDs from hemp the most effective and ended up extracting her own CBD products that have met her expectations of what CBD, CBDs from hemp can really do for the health of all people and beings alike. She sought out the highest manufacturing and product purification standards, hired biologists and biochemists, and researched effective methods and a never-ending passion to help redefine the magic of hemp health. She's here today to talk to us about not just CBD and their use, but how you ensure safety and purity and quality in a CBD product. We're going to talk about different ways to administer CBDs and what high-concentration CBD is and what that makes. I'll talk to her a little bit about uh, some industry standards, some industry direction, uh, some manufacturing standards, and how we can guarantee safe products, and not just safe products, because I personally believe that just about anything from any type of, of cannabis plant is relatively safe. I guess you can go to some kind of extreme with you know uh, super high levels of THC or something that could have some negative effects. I don't, I don't believe anybody's going to die from cannabis as a whole, because we don't. It doesn't happen. Um, but one of the things we want to know with a manufacturer is how do we know we're getting what we say we're getting? So we'll talk about all of that and more and some of the great things CBD can do for people and pets. We'll get to all that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is ButcherBox. I'll tell you what, I love ButcherBox. My new ButcherBox for the month showed up yesterday. There was a lot of great stuff in there, ribeye steaks. There's even Alaskan salmon now. And uh, you can check it all out. You, it's, it's really a great product. It's like having a personal meat shopper go to the store and pick out the best products for you. Pastured pork pastured poultry, grass-fed beef. It's all top quality. I am a pain in the ass when it comes to the quality of my meat. You can ask my wife. She will not even attempt to choose meat because I'm like, uh, no, that one has, like, uh, I don't, yeah. And they always make me happy. Check them out at ButcherBox.com. Uh, and remember, they do have a discount for MSB members. Next up today, Backwoods Home. Easiest product I've ever had to endorse because I was a customer of theirs for two decades before they asked me to endorse them. So it's really easy when you've been paying good money for a product for 20 years and that company comes to you and says, will you endorse us? Well, yeah. Backwoods Home is the definitive source for everything self-sufficient, self-reliance, 
personal independence and individual liberty. You'll find it all there. If you take the concept that Mother Earth News used to have, right, before it became massively political and everything was about politics and liberalism, that's kind of what Backwoods Home always was and has continued to be. Like many of you, I was I was unhappy a few years ago when, when Backwoods Home decided they were going to take away their uh, their paper publication and go to an online-only model. They've brought back a quarterly magazine. can ship it right to your house. I read it every time it shows up from cover to cover within the first week that it's there, and I reread it. I have a whole stack of them. I have a stack of Backwoods Home anthologies. It is just an incredible source of information. Check them out today, backwoodshome.com. With that, I want to remind you we are making some changes to the show and putting some segments back in, bringing some new segments. Wednesdays I decided to make the history segment of the week instead of a history segment of the day. I think it got to be a bit much. Uh, today we're going to be talking about something that happened this week. I, I'm not going to do the day. I'll give the whole week. And I will tell you something that happened today, though, but people are going to be talking about it. Today is VE Day. Victory in Europe Day in World War II. But I wanted to talk about something maybe you wouldn't hear about as much and that had a massive impact on this country in 1869. The Transcontinental Railroad was completed this week in 1869, allowing trains to travel from one coast of the United States to the other. This is one of those things you learn about in history class. They talk about it for a couple minutes. They mention the golden spike that they knocked in and pull right back out because of the ceremony. But I don't think people really understand the impact of this. It, it, it was going to be up into the mid, not, not, or not mid, but like early 1900s, 1910, 1920, 1930s, before America really completely fully embraced the automobile. And so until this time, and for quite a duration after it, if you wanted to get from one side of the country to the other in any reasonable amount of time, the railroad changed life in America forever. And there's numerous towns, some that are gone now, because when the railroad wasn't as important, they kind of went away. Some that are still here that became everything that they ever were because the railroad, because the railroad went through. And it changed the way that this nation was settled. And migration of people from the East Coast through the middle and to the western part of the United States accelerated massively after the railroad. And in short... The United States could not have become what it became without the railroad, both the good and the bad. And it is worth taking just a moment to think about the fact that in 1869, dealing with some of the harshest conditions that people have ever dealt with, men built a railroad that will allow people to cross this United States. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing. And if you ever get a chance to maybe take a trip on part of the original route of the Transcontinental Railroad, It's worth doing. I'll just say that. With that, let's go ahead and introduce our special guest, Melissa Clark, owner and founder of Hemp Magic, to talk about CBD products today. Melissa, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, we've got you on to talk about CBD and CBD products today, uh, manufacturing processes, safety, use, all types of good things. Because of you, I've become not just an advocate of CBD, but a user and a believer in what it can do. Because um, your product, honestly, was the first product I ever tried. But before we dig into that, can you kind of just talk to us about, like, how did you end up where you are now? Like, you're, the younger version of you trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, college, high school, whatever, and how does it lead you here? 
Um, well, I guess the story actually starts when I was like 16 or 17 and I went to a concert show and I got a flyer bill about industrial hemp. Um, and I started researching it and became an advocate. But career path wise, I went into education and got a bachelor's in that. And then I was working on my master's in special education. So I work with children who have um, a lot of disabilities and disorders and issues. Um, and I also thought about working with elderly. So working with people who are struggling with their health was always something I was also very attracted toward. Okay. And you ended up in this whole world with CBD uh, from hemp extraction. Can you talk to us maybe about, well, how are CBDs used for health? Um, sure. Well, uh, that, that really relates back to the endocannabinoid system. Um, so this was a new system to be discovered. And, you know, I like to say that it, it's really as important as your digestive system or your respiratory system. This is a, a very pivotal system in human health, and it helps balance all of your other system. So it creates a, a, a point of homeostasis. And I guess back to your previous question too, the story, it really revolved around my dog that um, I have a really close relationship with. And she had terrible seizures for a decade. And um, she was actually scheduled to be put down. Mm. And I had, tried, I'd, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really heartbreaking. It was grand mal seizures. So it's a really intense thing. Um, So I tried all these different CBD products and none of them were working. And what I discovered was through my research, how weak they were. And I didn't like the way that companies seemed to just be doing it for money and just kind of throwing what I considered really weak and effective product on the market. So I started extracting myself and I'm able to give her a really strong milligram and I kind of developed methods around that. And now I have her procedure free and she is completely off of her prescription. I mean, I went back to this appointment with my vet to literally put her down and my vet told me she was a different dog and I didn't have to do it. And she's now seizure free. So that has certainly made me a, a big believer and a big believer in making incredibly strong products, the best that I can do legally. So that actually brings up a question for me then. So I've, I've been working with your pet formula as well. And one of the things that I noticed on your side is it costs a lot less than the stuff for myself. And it's because the dog's endocannabinoid system is a lot more sensitive than ours. That's what your site says. So when you say strong, aren't we using a weaker product on a pet? Or are there situations when we use something more analogous to what a human would use? I'm, I'm really not clear. That. Yeah, that's... Totally. That's a very good question. So strength is a bit subjective according to what you're using the product for and who you're using it on. And I'm not a medical professional and I can't um, give any medical advice. I'm just going to speak to some of my experiences here today. I, I have to walk a, a thin line okay. <laughs> with um, giving medical advice. Sure. But yeah, so a dog weighs less uh, and pets tend to weigh less. And the pet formula has to work for an animal that weighs five pounds, a cat, up to my dog who's 35, and it varies by what you're using it for. So most pet owners are using it for some pain, um, anxiety, things like that. So 
in my personal experience, that takes much less of a milligram. When you're looking at something like seizures, if you look up Epidolax, that is the FDA-approved prescription medicine, that's up to five to 600 milligrams a day. So if, you know, I were to speak to my experience, if somebody was working with a seizure condition, I would be doing very high milligram, not necessarily the PET product. Gotcha. Okay, I understand now. So when it comes to actually using CBDs, can you talk about maybe the different routes of administration? Sure. Um, so th there's many different ones. The most popular one is the one that I'm using currently because it's kind of the legal uh, gray area where I can exist and that is our sublingual formulas. So those are like a tincture that are put under the tongue, and you leave it there for up to a minute so that it can get into your bloodstream because you're trying to digest or uh, bypass the digestive system to get more in the bloodstream. You can also eat it. Eating uh, is going to your digestive Juices are going to kill a lot of it. You have first-pass metabolism, so you're going to lose a lot of the active compounds, but it's also going to last eight hours in your system. So it lasts a long time, but not much gets through. And then you can do topical. Topical is great. Topical is just going to work in that specific area for a couple of hours. It's not going to be so systemic. Um, there's rectal application, which I think – is really important um, because it lasts for eight hours. Uh, you can smoke it. Um, and smoking is going to get in your system almost immediately, but it doesn't last long at all. That's like an hour. Okay. So that's about all the methods that I know of right now. You can eat it in gummies. You can, it, It's really interesting the way that it, works with the system, it can either do the systemic thing where it's um, affecting all of your other systems and you're taking it internally, or you can be doing more of a topical localized application. And that could even work if you're, if you're swallowing it because you have, you know, digestive issues or something going on with your stomach, you'd want to hit that almost topically. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I, I really wasn't, I guess I was aware kind of, Sort of, but I really wasn't aware that people smoke CBD. I mean, it makes sense. It's if you're using, you know, regular cannabis, you get that immediate um, response to it. So I guess it's it would be kind of analogous to like having a drug injected. It's quick, it's fast, it's effective, and then it's gone. Yeah, it, it, the lungs are meant to take in things fast, and then they transport it out fast. So. The, the doctors that I've worked with um, who lecture on medical cannabis mm -hmm. use that application method more for, like, breakthrough pain. Um, but I, I think that smoking it, if it's something people do a lot, actually causes issues with tolerance levels because you're taking in so much and then it's gone from the system. Your system doesn't really have time to build up its endogenous cannabinoids, but it does get hit so hard I've noticed that it that it affects um, the tolerance levels. So I'm not personally much of a smoker. It can be fun now and again, but I wouldn't use that as my main method. I think just inhaling smoke, period, right? Like it's not something we should do frequently. 
Like, it doesn't matter almost what kind of smoke. <laughs> like, if you just think about it, like, we're going to burn this thing and we're going to inhale smoke. And I'm, I'm not being anti, you know, people that want to smoke pot, go ahead, or whatever. That's fine. But I just think, that, like, if you are regularly inhaling smoke of any sort, too much of that is bad, even if the underlying active agents can be positive. Like, that just, you don't, build, yeah, I build a fire to cook burgers on. I don't sit there and inhale, inhale the charcoal smoke, right? Yeah, um, and I, I would agree with that, too, no matter, you know, if you're smoking hemp, which I've done just the plant material, and I think that's preferable to smoking cigarettes or something. Yeah. Um, I really suggest people get a hemp wick because the butane from your lighter, first of all, you're, you're breathing into your lungs. So get a hemp wick. And then second of all, I basically just smoke the green, and then I'll dump it out after it's charred okay. so that I'm not getting those those substances so much. But, you know, it's certainly a better alternative than, than smoking a cigarette or, or a lot of the other options in the market. Vape pens, I am not a fan of. I did try testing out a lot of different vape pens, and I just gave myself pneumonia, and I mm. built up such a tolerance that my own products couldn't help me. Um, and the research I've done on a lot of them, they have a metal coil. And so that metal coil kind of nanoizes into the liquid, and you end up aerosoling nanometals into your lungs. That sounds so fantastic. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not me. There's, then there's ceramic, and yeah. there's the ones where you just heat up the plant material. But as somebody with underlying asthma, I pretty quickly know when things are not good. And I just don't think that your lungs are meant to be inhaling something that dry either. Yeah. You know? Gotcha. So I'm just not a fan of it all. It, it, people got to do what they got to do, but it, sure. it is not a preferable method. So one of the things you mentioned there is edibles and gummies. I, I saw something recently, and you think you're in North Carolina. I think this is where I saw it, where um, it, it, CBD products like you're, you're doing are legal in North Carolina, but they were outlawing any kind of edibles. Was that a, a thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah, it's not allowed in edibles or the food supply. Um, that was kind of put out by the FDA on a national level. Okay. And some states aren't really listening to that, and some are. North Carolina is a state that's going to follow those policies. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't make edibles. Um, I try to stay in compliance as much as I can. You know, they they actually did just visit a lot of shops and. Um, take some pictures and inform, you know, there's going to be some follow-up with that. So people who are choosing to get into edibles, it's, it's not a wise path at this point. I'm hoping that at the end of the month, there's a big FDA meeting happening in Washington, D.C. that I plan to go to and hopefully get a chance to speak at. And they put together a special group to try to expedite this process with, F with um, CBD and creating some pathways. So hopefully, out of that, it will be allowed in food. I'm hoping it's produced at a high level where it's a nice, safe product and then allowed in food at small amounts. The thing that concerns me with food is that I see people putting it in their mousse, in their meal, in their this, and their that. And so, again, you're looking into tolerance issues to me. If you're just eating it and you're not treating it, with a lot of respect and as something special that you're using, my concern is that you're going to develop tolerance issues with it. The concern of the NCDA 
with the gummy bears is more that it's attractive to children. And I, I have heard of children getting into it and eating a whole, a whole bag of it, <laughs> you know. I can understand that to a degree. I also said, you know, we're talking about CBD today, but I had someone we talked about cannabis as a whole that having used cannabis myself in my, in my life and knowing that it does have a certain trigger for eating, I don't know that it's a good idea to have a bunch of candy around with more of it in it when you're using it. I don't know that I, I'm not, you know, I, I personally am against prohibition of any substance that a human wants to use, but I'm back to it just because you can. Maybe doesn't mean that you should. I think with CBD, from what you've said, you know, sublingually is far more of an effective means of administration than, than consuming it anyway. So, um, I mean, I think it has its place. Hopefully okay. in time it'll come. You well, know, I, mean, I think it, it, all the, the methods have their use. They, they, there is gummy bears and there is CBD. And if I'm steadfastly wanting to consume my seed. There's nothing that prevents me from using it that way, I guess, is the other way to look at it. I, I Again, I don't think it should be prohibited uh, at all, but it, 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 CBD, I don't even see the harm in it, but um, I have a police officer member of the family who is in uh, Colorado, and some of the stories I've heard about people going up and buying cookies and stuff like that who never used before, Um, and like, nothing <laughs> happens to them. Let's be clear. They don't end up in the ER even, but they end up calling the police themselves because they freak out, you know? And it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should think a little more about this. But I, I, anyway, we've talked about dosage, yeah. right? Right. And, and, and <laughs> concentrations. And you say you use a high concentration product. That's what you produce. What is considered mm -hmm. high concentration And what difference does that make? What, what difference does it make to have, like even with your product line, you have like three different concentrations. What's the difference maybe between using something really high concentration and just using, using more of a low concentration? Well, for me, if you're doing the sublingual oil, you're trying to get it to actually have contact with that system. Okay. So if you just do a lot, it's not going to be able to touch the veins under your tongue and get in that system. Versus if you use something strong, I'd rather somebody use a really strong product and just use a drop or two if they don't want to take much. If, if you're going to go with a lesser strength, you know, it's just not going to make contact with that sublingual system and you're going to end up eating it, which again is okay. It's just not much of it's going to make it into your system. Got you. Um, and can you kind of maybe talk about like just even with your products that like you have these three different concentrations And I guess, you know, like the first time I ordered, I was a little like, well, what do I get? Like, what is the rationale behind those three? Uh, how, how does that help the consumer to have those choices? Mm -hmm. Well, the lower strength gives people an in where they can start experiencing the product. And if they don't really have anything going on, I don't suggest people just take it, especially high concentration because of the tolerance that can develop. So I'd rather see people on a really low milligram if they're not, if their endocannabinoid system isn't out of balance, you know, okay. you're just doing a little bit. Um, so that product kind of exists for that need. And at the same time, if people wanted to invest in like the 60 milligram, then you're just doing a drop and you can take more when you need it. And it's a lot more available to you for use. Okay. That makes perfect But sense. I just, I wanted to make a price point that they could get into. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. Um, We've talked about this a little bit with past guests, but what is a full-spectrum product, and how does that affect quality or potential toxicity or what have you? 
Mm, good question. So there's a lot going on with that. Um, my every so there's no real standardization in this industry. We're kind of creating it as we go. My definition for full spectrum is that it contains all the cannabinoids and terpenes of the plant. And for me, the the extraction method that I do, it, it maintains those in their original bonds. Um, there's also broad spectrum, and broad spectrum just has uh, the top major components. They're separated out, and then they're put back together. But a lot of people are using those terms interchangeably, and I don't think they belong together. Um, the rest of the question, though, was... Um, Effect on like quality, toxicity, things like that. Yeah, so toxicity, I'm not really sure. Uh, I, I've definitely heard labs saying that they can um, remove mycotoxin, and I think they they think they can do that by concentrating it into an isolate. But other specialists that I'm talking to say that that isn't possible. But I've got to think that it's a bit to get down to that isolate that it would have less risk of contamination. However, an isolate is an API, an active pharmaceutical ingredient, um, versus the full spectrum is the whole plant product. So the current argument is that full spectrum isn't in the same boat as that CBD isolate. Gotcha. Um, so, I don't know. And isolate, they have very different health studies behind them as well. And in isolate, you're talking about one compound in the plant. There, I like to use the number 118 cannabinoids, but there's all sorts of studies with different numbers, so it's hard to choose which one to go with. But there's a lot of these compounds, and they're all essential and pivotal, and they're all working together, and there is a synergy there that is, is really important. And so whether, you know, it's because it's not allowed with isolate or not, most of us really believe that the full spectrum is more powerful. Um, and also a lot of the isolate might be coming from China. It, it doesn't seem to have traceability. When I ask people, well, where did you get that isolate? They don't know. So <laughs> that concerns me, you know? <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want to know where it came from. That that's well, especially with kind of this gray area in in the law right now. Like um knowing where it came from might be important to cover your rear end if it turns out that it's not what it was claimed to be. Um there's a lot of gray area in the law right now. I I just saw, this is like crazy to me, a CBD shop here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I think it was up in like Garland or something like that. Got got uh Busted by the police who claimed it wasn't just CBD and and whatever. Uh, and technically, it's still not legal in Texas, but there's a shop that was opened by a cop. So it's this weird, like, almost like, <laughs> like it reminds me of like what we called the Wild West days of the, in the Internet. You weren't really sure what you could and couldn't do. And it's I think it's Big confusing time. for and people. And it's changing daily. Oh, it's very confusing, for sure. I... I'm a little nuts and just read about it constantly, so I keep pretty up on it. But that doesn't tend to be too normal that people are really keeping up. Basically, they're like, if somebody shows up, they do. But my shop was actually um, uh, searched and products seized in the middle of the night. Um, and I was left 
the warrant for the search on my desk and I had like an emotional meltdown <laughs> and had four felonies on it. They accused my whole operation of being marijuana. Um, so that was a really scary thing for me to go through, but I got a good lawyer and, you know, it, it, it all resolved itself because it wasn't marijuana. Well, and, and you, there's no, that seems totally screwed. Like if you want to serve a warrant and search my property, I should have a right to be there when you conduct that search. How else do I know that what you say you got from my property, you got from my property? Because You know, it's not, it's not like that kind of thing never happens. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it was in the middle of the night. It was terrifying. I, like, went into running because I was like, I'm not talking to anybody until I have my lawyer. It was it was terrifying. I, I, I almost was charged with four felonies uh, for a fully uh, legal business. It's it, 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 We really need more work done here. Um, now, what got you into this in the first place was your dog, Luna. Um Mm -hmm. How did you use this with her? We kind of talked about that a little bit already, but she had, like, seizures, right? Yeah. Um, well, I, I varied how I used it with her. Um, uh, at first, I started just giving it to her orally on a more consistent basis, and she was still having the seizures. And then I started giving her it rectally after she, because I had her emergency medicine in that form. I was like, well, I'll try this. Um, so I started doing that after she would go. So the way that her grand mal seizure pattern would work, she would go like once a month, she would start into this grand mal pattern and it had gotten to the point where she would be having a grand mal every couple of hours for days on end. And then it just kept going. So I would give it to her once that pattern had started and it would stop. And I got it down to like three medium sized seizures. And then I got to where I mapped it out where I would give her the high milligram before she was in her window and then I would stop after the window and give her a time period with no CBD at all, no no hemp product and that I think is what has been the most helpful for her and it's a different form of application you know and, and I can't um, manufacture that right now okay With FDA standards, can we can we talk a little bit about like what FDA standards are for the plant itself? Like I was until I started getting deeper into this topic, I was always under the impression that like the hemp plant was in the cannabis family, but it was a totally different plant than the plant that is grown for recreational drug use. And it turns out they're and that, they're the same plant; they're just okay. different concentrations of. The cannabinoids, right? Like, so how do how do you or anyone in this industry make sure that you don't end up with the horrible things that, you know you kind of alluded to there potentially happening? Because I I can't look at the plant and say, okay, this is legal under the FDA and this isn't. I guess there's certifications and stuff, but like you mentioned, like there's things coming from sources we don't even know where they're from. So how how does that all work? Well, for me, I require a certificate of analysis okay. that has the lab results on it when I'm taking any plant material in. I have to know who the farm is, what kind of standards they have, um, and develop a relationship with those farmers is how I like to work. 
so I don't have really mystery products so much coming in. Um, I was in a bit of a bind recently and, and had to buy some. So I sent out for that test, and I'm getting a full panel test on it. I don't use any new plant material without having a full contaminant panel on it myself. Um, one way you could test it would be to try it out. Okay. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> um, you know, doing a visual inspection. Um, but, yeah, it is really hard. You can't tell a difference. And that's also one of the challenges for the police now. Um, there's It smells and looks almost exactly the same, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it does have that. Like the first time I tried using an oil, it surprised me how much it had that like cannabis taste type thing going on there. Uh, of course, I think some of the cops are going out of the way to make it a problem. Like, in in general, I'm a huge advocate for for you know can, cannabis decriminalization across the board. And mm -hmm. you know, going out and attacking people that are being peaceful and not bothering anybody. You know, they're not stealing somebody's TV set or something like that. They're not laying in the middle of the street tweaking out or something. Like, it just seems to me like there is a portion, it's not the entire thing, there's a portion of the law enforcement community that simply doesn't want this to happen for whatever pre prejudicial reasons or whatever. And they seem to be going out of their way to create confrontations where we don't need any. Uh, specifically with a legal business. If my business is open with a sign on the door, I'm registered as a business, and, I, and I'm like advertising, I have a website, I'm probably not selling an illegal product because that would be stupid. And, and to go out and look so for stupid. it, like it's just like my my nephew is going to school in uh, it's in Nebraska, I think, it's Nebraska or Kansas, one of those states nobody lives in. And uh, he said the cops there are terrible about this, like they are freaking out about it, especially with now Colorado having legalization for recreational. Like every time a college kid gets pulled over, yeah, we in the car, Get it. like like they're just like harassing them. Really? They, and if they find a CBD product, they seize it. And they test it. And if it's, you know, .01 or whatever over the standard, they're doing them up for it if they can. And it's like, I, wow. I, I, I don't, I think it's been so many decades of the whole war on drugs mentality that we've created kind of this super trooper mindset that, like, they're coming for your children with this or something. And I've seen incredible things done, specifically with CBD products, for people that didn't really have anything else work for them. Seizures, PTSD, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, from, I mean, even the people who kind of raided my shop, you know, they came back later and apologized. But I tend to just think that, okay, these are people that have been given a set of laws that they were enforcing for a good 20 or 30 years. This all has suddenly shifted um, to them, you know, and hopefully my whole thing w with that police department was, well, I guess we're due for some mutual education. You know, how about you come in, see what I do, let me help educate you on this, and you can educate me on how do I protect myself from you yeah. <laughs> searching and seizing my place in the middle of the night. You could just tell me where do I sit, where, you know, where do I post the C of A, where do I post my license, because there's no standardization to any of that. But, I mean, it, the CBD products, I haven't heard about people really getting that much trouble for, like, an oil Yeah. It, the flour, I think, is a lot harder. So I really encourage anyone who has flour, if you're selling flour, it should come with a, a, a little C of A that has the numbers on it and your receipt from the legal hemp store. And then at least you've got that to show. Okay. And you can sue them, you know, if they're mishandling what you're doing and you add your evidence and like you're, you, 
you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's, you know. <laughs> They're the ones being really foolish at that point. I know you're big on standards. Like you said, there's not really there's not enough standardization so that people know what they're supposed to be doing, honestly, if you're going to be coming in and harassing people uh, with, with armed thugs. Um, but you maintain certain standards, like there are standards the government says, and you do those. You have your own standards you know, kind of beyond that. So can you talk about what your manufacturing standards are? Yeah, I would love to. Um, first, I, I want to address that right quick with the armed thugs thing. <laughs> I would say that there are different players at hand here, right? So the people who came for me were my local police sure. versus even Asheville City Police is a totally different story versus FDA versus the North Carolina Food and Drug Administration and the DEA, right? So the DEA and the police are doing criminal versus FDA and in, in, in the North Carolina Drug Administration. Every state has its own um, are doing more manufacturing processes, that sort of thing, regulatory oversight. So they're not the ones who are going to be showing up arresting you thinking something is marijuana. Okay. So that being said, so it's even between themselves communicating, you know? <laughs> I mean, I had that police station out to my shop. I've talked to them before they came and did that. <laughs> like, it was very strange. Um, as far as standards go, the – through the processes of learning about this plant and getting all these test results, I've definitely developed a more thorough understanding of the dangers that could be involved with, with hemp. So hemp and cannabis is just a magic plant. And as such, it, it is the bioaccumulator of the plant world. So it's the plant that you would use to literally clean the soil. So that means that any heavy metals, any pesticide, anything that's in that soil is getting pulled out of it into the plant. Um, and that's a, it's a special property. So this is a special plant that has amazing benefits, but there's also these dangers that are special. Even neem oil um, recently came out as being a problem because it was being so absorbed by the plant. It's just not a typical um, attribute. That, that is that strong as it is with hemp. So I, I always get tested. So I have that C of A coming in on a plant, and then after I extract it, I send that off to the lab, and I get a full contaminant panel. And so that means that heavy metals, pesticide, mold, mycotoxin, I test for all these things before I put it in product to send out to consumers. And so that's really important. And not everybody is doing that yet. Um, so I'm really passionate about that because there's these risks. And then it's a, the, everybody wants the plant, like insects, animals, deers will totally ravage a grow. Insects want it. <laughs> Everything wants it. So the likelihood of a farmer needing to put some pesticides on there increases as well to try to save their crop. Um, so that's a really valid thing to always be testing for, even if it's an organic crop. It's also in the rain, the wind. It's really hard to control the environment enough to even know that something's truly organic nowadays. Um, and then mold is a huge issue. Again, it is this fatty, dense bud, right? It's beautiful. It's smelly. It's great. It's sticky. But because it is so dense and fat, It also tends to harbor mold and grow that easily as well. So in our warm, humid climate, I think that that's a very serious risk. 
And then the secondary byproduct of that is uh, mycotoxin. And mycotoxin is, is not a good thing. Um, so I just make sure that I don't have any of that contamination going on in the plants that I accept in. And again, part of that is building the relationship with the farmer. I'm trying to push my farmers to get GAPS, Good Agricultural Practices Certification, because that just helps me know, okay, you're at this high level, you have traceability, you have water testing, um, you've written out your plans and thought well through them, you know, so it's this vetting process. But uh, I'm working on that one. And then I use those lab results to figure out the strength of the product. And so that's the test that you see when you first go on my website, the contaminant panel. But as I get more into the manufacturing, part of that is also the traceability once I do it, because I could contaminate it after that test. So just continually monitoring and, and writing up really good plans and having a recall plan and taking time to think things through really thoroughly. Got you. Um, you know, you mentioned testing for all this stuff. Have you ever found stuff that you had to reject? Like, like you ran a test and it didn't pass? Yeah. And, and so then yeah. what is the mechanism for disposal then? Is it just incinerated or, I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so far, the only time I triggered was it was grown um, in a really warm, humid climate. And it looked good coming in. And I ran the test and it triggered for mycotoxin. And so this is part of my concern. Uh, I think it may have been like gamma-irradiated or something, which kills the mold. And you can do that in food products, but it does not remove the mycotoxin. And there's this, uh, there's this misunderstanding, I think, in cannabis and in hemp that you can kill mold and remove it. And you might be able to do that with an ethanol extraction. With the processes that I use, I, I could actually remove a portion of mold. But the mycotoxin you can't remove. So when it triggered for mycotoxin, I knew that there was also probably mold contamination. And if a mold contamination can contaminate your whole lab, and it becomes very hard to remove those spores from your machinery and your equipment. And so it's just constantly um, infecting your material. And your whole, your whole lab is, is infected. And I think that that's a real problem in the industry probably because people, <laughs> I've heard some major labs say that they can remove mycotoxin and maybe they have some new methods I don't know about, but I, I haven't seen that be possible yet. And if they're bringing it in, that also means that they've got thousands of pounds of moldy material that they're processing on their equipment. So when I, when I went hot for mycotoxin, I gave the material back to the farmer and said I couldn't use it anymore. Okay. So that's all I did. And then I, I really monitor if it's coming from an environment where I think that it's more likely to mold. I want to make sure to get that panel before I let it come in my lab. So I guess the toxins are more of a mold byproduct. Like you know, botulism itself mm -hmm. isn't actually a problem. The botulism toxin that the bacteria creates is a problem. So we're in that situation. Exactly. So just because I've eradicated the mold, it killed it. Does it mean the thing the mold produced? And I guess like, so you say it works for food. Well, I guess there's a big difference that, you know, maybe this corn got a little moldy, but I'm not making an extraction, a concentrated right. thing out of the corn. Like, I guess and corn syrup to, kind of is. Like, yeah, corn syrup kind <laughs> of is. Kick, kick, corn syrup yeah. kind of is a concentrated thing, but, you know, not trying to kick them any harder than I need to with, with that crap, that when we're making a... <laughs> 
a therapeutic grade concentration, we're, we're concentrating everything. Like one of the things that I try to, when people ask about podcasting is like, well, can't you just up, you know, bring the volume up on somebody if they call in their really low volume? Well, if I amplify, somebody calls in and they talk like this, and I can barely hear them, and I amplify that call, right? Then I amplify everything. I amplify the background noise, the static, the distortions, so it sounds like crap. So if we're concentrating, going the other direction, instead of amplifying, we're going to concentrate everything, including these toxins. That that makes sense, and that's something I had never really even considered before in this world. So that's 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 awesome that you're concerned about that, and it would be good to see industry come up with standardization on this stuff. I guess we're kind of waiting on government. I don't really like government, so I... I would love to see more like a consortium of people like yourselves come up with like, and it doesn't even have to be like everyone has to do this, but this is what we do and this is what our standardization means. And then, of course, that has to also jive with the law. So like when the law says you have to do certain things or you can't do certain things, that's all good and well, but nothing prevents you from doing more or being more stringent or more rigid. And we have many standards mm -hmm. bodies like that um, where – You know, in the interest of the industry as a whole, good companies create these consortiums and standards bodies. Yeah, totally. I, I think your analogy there was was great about the concentration of it. There is a cannabis hassup, um, which I'm sorry, has, like cannabis started, what? Cannabis? I just didn't a understand. cannabis hassup. Okay. It is a. Hazard analysis, critical control point. Okay. So it, it, it more dives into these dangers. And so the industry has created its own set of standards. Um, and the states to turn to for that are more ones that have been dealing with legal marijuana because they've had higher standards. The states that are just pulling on hemp and CBD aren't trying to worry about those standards yet. Gotcha. Right. So, but that, that, Cannabis HACCP, the hazard analysis critical control point, could certainly apply to hemp as well and be picked up for it. Because they're worried about the same things. Like, what do you? What about the person that says, "Look, you know, the the, the, the child of the '70s and the '80s, like me, that you know, everybody knew somebody that was growing some in a closet somewhere." And we're talking about recreational now, and no one ever worried mm -hmm. about this. Was that a problem we just didn't know about, or is this more because we're? You know, when we look at something that's that's become now an industry, the quantity that's being grown, stored, transported, is it more susceptible to these mold issues? Yeah, I think that it is. And secondly, if you're growing it in your closet, it was in clean soil. You probably probably brought that soil in. You were using light. It was a controlled environment. Okay. Um, and in a, a clean, dry house. You know, yeah. so that helped protect it some. And I think that people were taking in a lot of dangerous materials and, and didn't well, have an option. Yeah. I mean, I've seen stuff that looks completely clean. And until you get that test result back, you don't really know. That's that's interesting. So where do you see the industry as a whole going? Like what is kind of the future of the CBD industry? And if you want to speak to the other side, the cannabis industry as a whole, uh, feel free to do that as well. What I well, it you know it it gets a little tricky with Epidolex coming out on the market with a prescription drug before it was in the food supply. So Gottlieb, who used to be in charge of the FDA, 
said that according to their own rules, they can't put it in food because it's an active pharmaceutical ingredient. It seemed like he wanted to. <laughs> okay. Um, and what he said was that he could conceive of a scenario where we put one milligram, a very low milligram in food, a higher milligram in supplement, and then leave the highest strength to pharma into FDA-approved medications. And then that way they have some impetus to spend the millions of dollars that's needed to do this medical studies. The medical studies are needed to validate what we're doing. Um, so whether FDA can do that on its own with this comment period and the special group of people that they're getting together or not, I don't know. Uh, it might take an act of Congress. It took an act of Congress to legalize hemp, and it might take an act of Congress to legalize it in methods outside of FDA-approved medical trials. So for me, even with all this safety and contamination issue conversation, if people were at a supplement manufacturing level, th those aren't going to be an issue anymore. You're doing all that testing. You're doing all that traceability. So as long as it's produced at that level, I would love to see it available in, in all sorts of uses. Well, and like I said, I think that if you get to a point where It's, it's readily available and safe everywhere. Then if somebody wants to change the means by which they consume it, th there's nothing that stops a person from doing that. So I, I, it just amazes me the government makes this so difficult, and I, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. What do they not make difficult? And it's that it, it one <laughs> the one thing they do here has all of these other consequences down the road. And they, I, I think some people in that space really do believe they're helping and they really do believe that they're, they're looking out for people and what have you. And I think some of them do their best. But I think in the end, the more they do, the more problems we have. And it, you, so no one, no one came to you, put a gun to your head, and said, hey, you need to have these higher level of standards. You did that because it was important to you. And you also, I imagine, believe that the market would appreciate it and respond to it. And that seems like the, the number one way we can go forward to me is that the companies themselves, within the bounds of the Department of Making You Sad's directives, put the standards forward and explain these things and become the educational component to it. So I'm glad you, you – I mean, to me, you seem like a pioneer in doing that. Yeah, I think that that's valid. And, I, you know, we just held a safety event where I actually pulled on – people who specialize in, in these standards and all these different areas, where to get free resources, how to get started, um, what these different levels of manufacturing are, when you would be required to do that. Um, the attendance wasn't super great. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely see people moving toward testing, and I see the passion coming out of farmers to get it right. But you're, I think that I would like to see testing required because I do have concerns, especially about the mycotoxin. And I used to work with children who had been poisoned with heavy metals, and heavy metal is um, a serious issue with it as well. And if a farmer is putting in $50,000 on their first crop of hemp and they lose it to mold or heavy metal, as much as they want to be a really good person and not put that on the market when you're looking at like feeding your family an incredible debt because you've done all this, I think that they're going to have to put it on the market, you know? Um, and I think that the market's had a lot of stuff on it that should be tested. 
And as long as, yeah, there, and there are accrediting bodies starting to pop up that, that are doing some of this, but I also see a lot of pay to play in that. And it's many thousands of dollars to get certified through that agency. And then I'm still not seeing them at the proper level with it. And it seems very kind of cronyism sort of thing can happen too. So that's the other side, even if it's within the industry, it could become a pay to play type situation versus somebody from the outside might be able to do it cheaper and have government funding behind them. But I was recently looking into certification. It's $10,000 hmm. and 3600 dollars a year just to maintain that certification and it it doesn't really mean much <laughs> i have an inspector come out for a couple hours one day you know what i mean yeah i mean they, they look through things but i i would rather have an accrediting body that really knows what they're doing and hopefully has some outside resources and not have to pay ten thousand dollars for that licensure Competition, man. There's there, like, see, because once some when one group sets up a standards body, yeah, doesn't prevent another group from setting up a standards body. I I guarantee you, some industrious person out there can set up a a safe, effective uh, certification under some some guise of some consortium for a hell of a lot less than that. That's like we're the first ones here. We're the big dog, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, I, you just I'll just tell you this. Despite the headaches you've had, your faith in government exceeds my faith in government. I'll just, I'll, I'll leave, I'll <laughs> well, leave, I'll leave it at that because, like, I, I, I literally yeah, I think everything far, they touch, <laughs> everything they touch, they make worse. And I think if you historically yeah. went back in time and tried to make a case that that wasn't true, the burden you bear would be harder than my burden of proving my claim. But uh, I, I've mm -hmm. had a fantastic time chatting with you today. Tell people about. Uh, your website, the, and, and you kind of just like the overview of the products that you offer. And, of course, you know, I'll mention again, like I did in the intro before I had you on, you are a uh, member support uh, brigade discounter. I think that's fantastic because, honestly, for people that use the product regularly, that, that covers my membership fee and your discounts alone. So I, I was really great uh, having you guys come aboard. But can you kind of talk about just your basic product line, what you have, what it does for people, that type of thing? Um, sure. Yeah. Hitmagic.com. Hitmagic with the K is the website. And we currently just carry sublinguals and topicals because that's what is permitted. Um, and then like, like we spoke, there's the 20, 40, 60 milligram. And I specialize in two different formulas. There's the awakening, which is more of a daytime blend. You got to work and keep your concentration. Um, and get through your day while wanting to use this product and being provided with its effects. And then there's the rest blend, and that one is more for nighttime use, help people drift off to sleep. Um, for me, I don't like to use that during the day because it's more cloudy in my mind. Uh, but different people react very differently to it, and some people like to take it during the day. They mirror an indica and a sativa. So the awakening is more of a sativa and the rest is an indica. So if people know those kind of brands, it's, it's a similar strain. It's a similar effect. And then we have a topical that is really strong. Um, it's 300 milligrams of cannabinoids and 10 mils. And then it has a liniment base. So I, I kind of borrow from Chinese medicine with that. So it's an alcohol base, which causes it to penetrate a lot deeper for a topical. And it has some Chinese um, essential oil formulation. It's just really effective and it smells good, like menthol and 
It's just an amazing product. We're coming out with another topical that I'll be adding to the website here very soon, and it is a body butter. We're working with um, a local chiropractor who had invented this product already. So it's basically just whipped plant fat, and then we add the concentrate to it. And he's having incredible success with the people he works with with it. And so for me, I love to just put it all over myself after a shower and it, it helps calm down my skin and just feels really good. Um, and then we have our pet line. Uh, and again, you know, the 10 milligram is good for most pet needs. If you're working with a higher need, you can always move to the human grade strength. The only difference really is putting a pet, <laughs> uh, on there and making it a little weaker so that it's a little safer for the pets. Um, and that's it for right now well, as far cool. as the product line goes. Well, yeah, they're super effective and they're tasty. There's coconut almond, orange creamsicle, and plain Jane. All the organics are ingredient. I extract or organic. I extract with an organic sugarcane ethanol. Um, the MCT is organic. It's highly shelf stable, um, and it, it's actually pretty tasty compared to other cannabis products. And then the sweetener is monk fruit, which has a zero glycemic index, and it's just a wonderful little sweetener to it. So they're just fantastic products. I, I completely agree that my product of choice has become the Rest Plus product, the, the nighttime product. Uh, I don't use it every night. I use it when I feel the need for it. And generally, it's usually weekends where I, you know, instead of working at my desk, I'm working outside. And I've had a couple experiences where, you know, you just, you push your body, especially as you get older, beyond maybe where you should have, because you want to get shit done. So that's what you do. And then, I don't even feel that bad, but when I go to lay down and go to sleep, you have very similar to restless leg syndrome, except it's everywhere. And it's like you hurt, but you, you don't, you know, if somebody said, what's your, what's your pain? You know, and I want a 10, it's maybe a 3 or a 4. But it's everywhere in different places, and you just can't be comfortable. So you're constantly moving, so you can't sleep. And in those situations, I'll go use some of the Rest Plus, and in five minutes, I'm done. And I don't think it's so much that it is, a in that capacity, a sleep aid, it, though that's the result. It's since you stop being uncomfortable, your body does what it was going to do anyway because you worked your ass off all day, so you go to sleep. The one thing I will say for it, though, is I do feel, and I don't know this is everybody, I do feel when I use that product, specifically a significant amount of it, I do have more vivid and recallable dreaming on those nights. And I don't know if anybody else experiences that or it's just me or, or what have you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's our hottest seller. <laughs> People <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, and it's just the relaxing, the anxiety, all sorts of stuff that, that I've experienced. Um, and some people are using it for, uh, but, um, yeah, I'm glad that it's working out for you so well. I guess we should say one thing here at the end, because the question always comes up when the topic comes up, drug testing, people that have to go through drug testing. I don't think even let's say companies that might be okay with the concept that you're using a legal product. I don't think they've caught up with the reality on the ground yet. And there, there, there is some risk then to someone that has to go through mandatory drug testing, they probably need to find another uh, solution to their problem. Would you agree with that? Um, I think it depends on use, uh, the way that you're doing it, where you're just taking it once in a while. 
I could see that really being fine. Okay. Um, if somebody's going to take a lot of it all the time, then that's going to build up in your bloodstream. Like and what I tell PTSD, people to do, all, like somebody treating PTSD that regularly, like every day, uses it, that would be more likely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can always get like a little uh, test at the drugstore and kind of test yourself and see if it's triggering. I tell people to tell their HR department ahead of time that they're on a legal CBD product just to build up that paper trail. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were on parole or something, I, I probably would not do okay. that at all because any, and then there's different allowances for THC. So, you know, these have minimal THC and that little bit does help it be more effective. But I've seen companies be at, I forget what the measurement is called that they measure in for these tests, but I've seen them be at 20 when the army is at 50. So when you turn in that paperwork to your HR department saying, I'm on a CBD product, you could also find out how do you all measure THC and where is your number? If it's more up toward 50, you have less concern. And below that, you're going to have more and more concern. But it gets silly because (laughs) you could trigger from all sorts of stuff from that, you know, secondhand smoke like that. That's an crazy number to be testing people for and i i kind of hope it results in litigation yeah I, i hope so too i mean i remember way 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 back in the day i was in the data cabling industry and the company i worked for eventually wrote raised the standard that they were testing for from from whatever number i don't i don't know what number it was but they made it higher because they were running out of people to employ uh, it's just <laughs> it's just an industry that's like that and And uh, so, yeah, they actually decided, like, we, well, we can't do this because we won't, we won't have anybody left. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was the early 90s, and it was a 20-something crowd without college degrees. So it was just a, a prevalent thing, and they, they did end up raising it. I don't remember where it was, but uh, I found that very amusing. So, anyway, I'll make sure that there's links to all your social media and your website in the show notes today. And I'll remind people, again, if they want to try your product Get on into the MSB if you're a member and use the discount code. And if you're not a member and you use CBD, kind of like, duh. Um, I, I, I really, you know, I, I'm not going to say like I tried 100 products, but I am a complete 100% believer in the efficacy of your, of your product uh, and the quality of your product from personal experience. So I'll throw it out there at the end as well. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks one, for having me on today. It's been fun. <laughs> and one day I'll learn how to pronounce efficacy. I always struggle with that word. Anyway, have a great day. <laughs> All right. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Great interview. I, I, I want to say again how much I do endorse the products from Hemp Magic. Uh, one of the questions I was asked about uh, when we brought them on was, do they provide lab results on their products? And they absolutely do. Um, I was sent lab results for the products that I ordered and the products that I sampled. Um, I'll also say, like, to me, like, the most important thing is, does it work? And as we talked about today and we have in the past with CBD, CBD, even with m- very minor traces of THC and the small residual amounts that are there within federal law, is not going to get you high. It might make you really sleepy if you take too much of it, I guess, but it, it's not going to get you high. But my question is, does it work? And my opinion is, yes, it works. It works for me. I don't know if it'll work for you. It depends on what you're looking for out of it. I also want to talk about, like, you know, I've had people say it's expensive. Well, I don't really look at it as expensive when I look at, you know, how long a bottle will last my wife and I, and then I do the math on a per-day cost. I mean, 
even making my own coffee. I spend more money on coffee than I do on CBD oil. And it's not something that I take every day like a tonic. I take it when I need it. I, if I'm having trouble falling asleep, if I'm really achy when I go to sleep or something like that. Or sometimes if I'm feeling a little bit angry or anxious, you know, then I'll use it. So I don't think it's something we should be taking like vitamin C. I think we should have a reason for why we're taking it. But I know this stuff works. I have absolute faith in the product. And with the discount that I got for you guys with them at 20%, if you're using a CBD product, I just say try this one. Just, I mean, just try this one and compare it. Or if you think it might help you, try this one first. And if it works for you, I think that it alone, because it is, you know, per bottle, you can call it expensive, it, it pays for your membership many times over. I mean, if you're somebody's going to use like six bottles a year, like one bottle every two months, I mean, it, it is a no-brainer. Like, even if you hated me, if you wanted to use this product, then you should still be an MSB member because it just works out that financially well for you. So with that, also remember you can always support the show by joining the MSB. Uh, next, uh, the other way you can help support the show is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z tspaz.com. Now, if you go to Amazon, which is, you see all my reviews at tspaz for Amazon, look for CBD, you'll see all kinds of crap come up. None of it's actual CBD. None of it is actual CBD. They don't allow the sell of true CBD on Amazon. But there is something that comes in oil that they do allow that I recommend, and it's my product of the day for you. Matisse Gallego Sardines. I know some of you are like, sardines? Ew. You know what? If you absolutely, 100%, hate sardines, fast forward to the end for the song of the day, because I can't make you like something you hate. If you like sardines okay, if you can take them or leave them, that type of thing, or you kind of enjoy them, you got to try this product. This is like no sardine you've ever eaten before. A few years ago, I went on a quest to find the best sardine available to people in America. And going across foodie blog after foodie blog after foodie blog, one name was always number one or number two on the list. And the other, the other ones would change around. It was Matisse Gallego. Best sardines in the world. They come from the northern coast of Portugal in Spain. If you read the ingredients, it includes sardines, sea salt, olive oil, nothing else. And that's what you should be looking in a sardine. These do not look like the little king sardines and the little tiny minnow strips. Like one can has about three sardines in it. They are beautifully prepared, skin on, bone in. Of course, when you can fish, the bones become so soft you can eat them. Uh, they are just fantastic if you like sardines at all. My favorite way to eat them is to take a big romaine lettuce leaf out of the garden, put that sardine in that leaf, a couple sprigs of dill, and a little schmitz of avocado and or yogurt cheese a little bit of garlic chive oh roll that sucker up a little celery leaf in there is nice too and basically make two or three of those for my lunch fantastic and here's the thing what do preppers struggle with fat and protein in long-term storables the packs i just got in have an expiration date on them of 2024 Uh, we'll be at the next Ass Clown Circus before they expire. So they store really well, and they're fantastic to eat and have a great uh, yield of protein and the highest quality fats you can get your hands on, and omega-3s. Now, omega-3s are important, and we can get some of those from things like salmon and tuna and whatever, but higher-level predatory fish in the oceans have higher levels of things like mercury, etc. Sardines are at the bottom of the food chain, so they are something that's safe to eat weekly, and you should be eating omega-3 foods 
weekly, and you probably shouldn't be eating ocean-going predator fish weekly. It's too much of a mercury load. That doesn't mean you shouldn't eat them at all. I eat tuna. I eat salmon. I love it. But I try to limit that to about one meal every two weeks because that's the guidelines. These things you can eat to your heart's content. And if you've ever thought about cooking with sardines and thought, that's not a thing, hey, I got two great videos in today's review from Alex the French Guy, who I must thank the Yeti, also known as Patrick Rorman of MT Knives, for turning me onto this guy's channel. He is awesome, awesome, awesome sauce. Just really cool dude. And he has a way to, a couple different ways to cook sardines. I've got my two favorite videos with him in the show notes. I'm sorry, in the, the, the write-up notes for the Lego sardines. If you want to make sure you can always find all my stuff, consider signing up for the Daily Mail. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, fill out a form. That's all you got to do. And the things like the reviews and all, every day I send out one text email. I don't put a bunch of crap and graphics and stuff like that in it. It's just bullet points. It'll be three to five things. Hey, here's all this stuff. Here's the links. Very, very convenient. And if you don't like it, you unsubscribe. So consider subscribing today. That brings us to our song of the day today. This song's by Elton John. It was off the album, The Captain of the Kid. And, of course, we're doing... Uh, uh, nurse, not nursery rhyme. I keep wanting to say that uh, fairy tale week, where all the songs are based on fairy tales. And I really never listened to this song. And I thought I know what I'll say about this song when I put it on. I'll say this is proof that Elton John can sing about anything and get a hit. Uh, this song is based on the three pigs and the house fell down and the wolf came and everything. But when you actually listen to this song, which I had never done, the song's about drugs. This is about the struggles with jug, drugs that Elton had early on in his career. And it's, it's not hidden. It's not cryptic. It's blatant that that's what it is. But the wolf is the consequences of abuse of drugs. Now, we talked about CBD today. As many of you know, I am a cannabis advocate. I'm also opposed to prohibition on any substance that people choose to use for themselves. But I will tell you that, you know, things like heroin and cocaine and opiates... One of the reasons I'm such an advocate for cannabis is as an alternative to people that need pain medications and things like that. It works so well without those consequences, and the doctors are more than happy to prescribe these, these, these horrible drugs to people. And the recreational use of them, too, I just think is a bad idea. I, I put it to you this way. I'm opposed to prohibition, but I've always loved the statement, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.